Hi guys, this is Matt, the producer of the Investor Mindset Podcast, and we're back with another episode from the Best Of series. This week, we're taking a look back at the amazing interview that we had with the super successful and charismatic David Meltzer. We dive into emotional stories from David's past and learn how you can achieve a stronger investing mindset while reaching the goal of true internal happiness. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. If you're someone who's interested in investing in institutional quality multifamily opportunities, then I highly encourage you to listen up. We're very excited to announce that we've partnered with one of the top tier institutional operators in the country who has over a million units under management, over $1 billion of assets under management. And this team is coming together with a specific purpose to buy units across nine different cities within the Sunbelt region from Charlotte to Denver and from Dallas to Nashville and multiple cities in between. They have a proprietary business plan to be able to go purchase these high quality B-class assets, reposition them and roll them up over the hold period to actually turning this into the first faith-driven REIT in history, which means they're actually going to exit this by selling this as a REIT. And it's an incredible opportunity to not only make a phenomenal income, but to be able to make an impact by driving real change within communities, by being able to help build stronger apartment communities. One of the biggest problems that we're seeing in our country today is a epidemic of loneliness. Over 75% of men and women are feeling lonely often or always in their life right now. And over 54% of people in apartment complexes don't have any friends that are within their complex. But the, the group that is a part of this organization is a specialist in building real quality communities and ends up having those numbers go from 54% not having any friends within the community to 75% of people having friends within the community and ends up leading to significantly better business outcomes, as well as better communities and better lives for the residents. So this sounds like something that you're interested in investing in and you're an accredited investor. I encourage you to learn more by going over to vonfinch.com slash waymaker, and you can find out a lot more and you can have an opportunity to request access to this opportunity. And I look forward to being able to serve you and continue to serve all the people we're going to make an impact on through this investment. Three things happened in my life, uh, three great lessons. Uh, the first one happened when I was 30 years old. Uh, I was a multimillionaire at 30, extremely blessed in my dream home with my dream girl. I actually married uh, the girl that I fell in love with at sixth grade camp. I asked my best friend at sixth grade camp to ask her to go steady. She said, no, tell him to ask me himself. And so I threw an egg at her. So it was a long journey uh, to get her to marry me. In fact, uh, she hates when I say it because it's not true, as you'll find out. But I, I felt as if part of the reason my wife loved me now was because I had a lot of money. I, I Once again, everything was about I needed to define myself by how much money I made. And when I was 30 years old, my father, 
who was my hero when I was five. Uh, the biggest guilt that I still hold with me today is my dad did not give child support. He it was the seventies. So there wasn't the big deadbeat dad problem, but he, uh, he was my hero. He was rich. He had a beautiful uh, wife that was closer to my age than his. He drove a convertible Cadillac. And I used to tell my mom while we were driving, you know, in between those two jobs in the country squire station wagon that would break down and I'd catch her crying over the financial stresses that my dad was causing us. <laughs> I tell her, why can't you be more like dad, mom? Um, and so at 30 years old though, uh, my dad gave me a birthday present. Uh, it was the first birthday present I got in 20 years. Uh, at 10 years old, he forgot my birthday and I got mad at him. And what made it worse was he lied to me and say, said he didn't forget my birthday. He doesn't believe in birthdays. At that moment at 10 years old, my dad went from hero to zero because I knew he was a liar, that he was a cheater, that he was a manipulator, overseller and back end seller. And I hated him. And so for 20 years, I had a very difficult relationship with my father. One, once again, that was based off of money, uh, you know, and I learned the truth about what he had done to my mom and what he'd done to the family. And I just couldn't get over it. But at 30 years old, my dad gave me my first birthday present in 20 years, a beautiful sport coat, fit perfectly. And I tried it on. I remember crying when I tried it on. My wife's like, what's the matter? I'm like, gosh, it fits me. Like he actually cared enough to find out what size I wore. And I opened up the jacket and he had tor torn out all the lining, all the pockets. I immediately got enraged. I called him up. I said, what, what are, is this gift? Why, why are you punishing me? He said, what are you talking about punishing you? I said, why would you send me a coat that I can't wear? He goes, because it's not for wearing. I'm like, what, what do you mean it's not for wearing? He goes, Dave, that coat's to be hung in your closet until you die. It's there to remind you that you can't take anything with you when you're gone. It's there to remind you you're just like me. I said, I'm nothing like you. You're a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, oversaw, back and I'm nothing like you. F you. And I hung up on him. Six years later, when I was 36 years old, this is two years before I lost everything. I went golfing. I was running Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. That is, you know, the most notable sports agency in the world. I had access to the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby. I surrounded myself with the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entertainers in the world. I had a dream job. Uh, and I came, uh, went golfing with my best friend, Rob, the guy who asked my wife to go steady for me at sixth grade camp. And I asked Rob, I said, how come you don't hang out with me anymore? I said, we could hang out at the greatest events with the greatest people on earth. He said, I don't like who you hang out with and I don't like what they do. I said, well, I'm not doing the things that those guys are doing. Come on, Rob, just come, come with me. He said, Dave, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. I was heartbroken when I left. That's my best friend since the fourth grade. And he was the first, and the reason I was heartbroken isn't what he said. The reason I was heartbroken is that was truly the second glimpse, but I was old enough now, 36, that was the second glimpse of the truth. And he was the only one next to my father to tell me the truth. Everybody else in my life was a bunch of yes people. Everybody else sucked up to me. My relatives, my friends, my family, they all wanted something to trade with me. And they knew that if they gave me recognition and an ego boost, that I would get them whatever they want, cars and, and houses, I mean, uh, you know, houses, cars, loans, money, whatever it was. Two weeks later, my life changed. Uh, and it was the third and final straw that broke the camel's back. I came home at 5.30 in the morning, uh, intoxicated and high. I was partying with a guy named Little John. We went to the Grammy Awards together. He was 
thing awarded. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Uh, but I had lied to my wife. I had uh, told her I was going to a business meeting. I changed clothes in the car because I knew she wouldn't let me go because I'd not spent enough time at home. I'd been partying way too much. And uh, I came home 530 in the morning and there was the third truth, as I call it. My wife stopped me coming in, told me that she wasn't happy and that I better take stock in who I was, take inventory of who I was. Uh, or I was going to end up dead and for sure without her, she was leaving. I wish I would have told you, I immediately said, oh my gosh, you're right. I, I did. I got mad. And I told her, how dare you? How dare you tell me that? Look around you. Who do you think provides all this stuff? And I just threw the ego book at her as hard as I could. And I went to my room and I woke up in the morning, even more upset, thinking about how I could take all my money and all my houses, and all my golf course, and my ski mount, and my kids away from her. I was so pissed, so lost. And then I looked over and in the closet, shining, like my head is shining right now. I hadn't seen that jacket, man. It was staring at me, telling me, man, you're just like your dad. Everything you hate about your father, that's you, buddy. You are a liar, cheater, a manipulator, back-end seller, and overseller, and you better take stock in who you are. And that's what changed my life. And so I started taking inventory of my values. And it's something that I suggest that people do today. Um, take inventory of your values and know who you are. And when you know who you are and you have the right mindset, it doesn't matter what's happening. There's always opportunity. I was called the mindset of millionaires, the margins of millionaires. More millionaires were made during the depression. There'll be more millionaires, especially in real estate made right now than any other time. And it's the people that are going to take inventory of their values like I did. And that prepared me for 2008. 2008, I lost over $100 million made it right back with the mindset. I was not bothered at all. And I've never been more prepared, more ready and more situated to be successful, not only for myself, but you know, I do free trainings for the last 20 years on Fridays to empower over a billion people to be happy, getting their things in control, their mindset, what they think they do and believe, understanding their conscious, subconscious and unconscious continuum to give them that inventory, to give them and empower them this great virus of happiness that can be spread by witnessing it and strengthens your immune system. I mean, it's like so touching as I hear you talk about this and I can feel the emotion. You're making me want to tear up thinking about that moment of realizing that everything that you had been going for, everything that you thought was what life was about in that moment, you realize it was actually everything that you hated. And, and it's not that money was bad and it wasn't the pursuit of money that was bad, but it sounds like it was actually the approach and the way that you were looking at life. And I think that's such a good reminder because we all are running into challenges at different times, right? And lots of people might experience similar challenges to what you did where there's big losses, but being able to check into those values and really understand like, who am I? What do I value? What matters most to me is one of the quickest ways to make sure that you don't go down that wrong path. Cause if you wouldn't have done that right there, David, I mean, there's a chance that who knows what kind of stuff could have happened, because when you get into that kind of negative place and you lose a hundred million dollars, it's everything that was making up who you are, I imagine. Yeah. What I realized, you know, money uh, and I, I was buying more things, different things, things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. You know, and money doesn't buy happiness or love. But my motto and my trademark in life is make a lot of money 
to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Money's super important to me. There's a blend of two currencies, money being one of them, an object of energy you put into flow to get to what you want, but also the blend of faith, the aggregate of what I think, say, do, believe, my values. And you blend those. And so for me, money is terrific because it allows me to shop. Uh, and if I shop for the right things, I'm going to be super happy. And if I shop for the wrong things to impress people for things that I don't need, I'm going to be very empty, shallow, and unhappy. And that was the key difference of my energy. What I did was went from that world of just for me, a filled world where I was buying all kinds of things that I didn't need to impress people I didn't like into a world of more than enough. When I started realizing my values were my personal values, health, family, love, integrity, all the things that I live by, experiential values, changing to experiences that were fulfilling, ones that empowered other people, not just filled myself. And then understanding the nuance between giving and receiving values that instead of receiving for me and feeling guilty and empty and shallow, I receive through me for others. I appreciate everything I receive. And I also appreciate it in the respect that not only do I give it gratitude, but I add value to it and give it away. So what inspires me every day is that I know my what. I know my what. Everybody knows their why. Why is to help somebody or something. But I know my what is, and, and I allow that to come through me. So when I see a lot of money, I already have it spent on community centers and scholarships and relief aid for New York or food or whatever it would be. And it means and gives meaning to everything I see. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.